You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 605, Beef, served up on Netflix, BBC Radio 4 loses the baby boomers, and farewell to Chaz Newby and Andy Rook. That's all coming up after Oasis and Within You, Without You.
Squid Sergeant Pepper was released uh, this week in May 1967, um, and I spent one of my birthday record vouchers on it. Mm. Um, I, I rather took against Within You Without. Oh, you took again. I, I took again. I, I really did. But as the years sped past, I, I have come mm. to love it and my skipping of it uh, those days are <laughs> over. That's good. Uh, this comes from a BBC project in 2007 mm. set up to commemorate the 40th anniversary mm. Oasis and Within You Without You. Indeed, uh, what some wags may refer to as uh, uh, the Breezeland's premier tribute band having an opportunity. Had to say, I much prefer that. They did I Am the Walrus years mm. before that as a booster, which mm. I always found rather lumpen. But actually, that's a nice version and it's a difficult song to play. I've tried yes. to play it recently and particularly to sing. It goes into some very strange places. Um, like it took me a while to kind of really get into it actually strangely the, the first place that i really came to love it was on the love album you know that that thing for oh, the, Cir- yes. Soleil, the, the, the sort of mashup yes yeah. i thought that was really good and having seen the show in in las vegas very mm. lucky to be able to say i've mm. seen that there aren't that many people that can say that on my 40 percent billy no mate single discount ticket when i was the last remaining member of our party in las vegas so um, i saw it then and was really struck by it so actually yeah, I, I, I am I am with you, um, not without you in this, I must say. Thanks, thanks very much. Welcome along to Parish Council, episode 605. Mm. I'm Terence Stackham, and it's the story that the press have been reporting all week. Is she replacing Dominic Raab as the Conservative candidate for Isha <laughs> and Walton? Let's ask. Juliet Harris. Well, it depends what the people at this morning say, Sir Terence, because uh, I haven't got time to do it all, I must say. Although, having said <laughs> that, um, yes, uh, so long, Dominic Raab. Nice to see that some people do get their just desserts in the end. Um, I was listening to the News Agents podcast recently, um, Emily Maitlis, um, free from the shackles of the BBC, able to express opinions and make jokes about things that she wouldn't otherwise have made, I sense. And um, someone said, oh, Dominic Raab's very worried about his young family to which she said what now all of a sudden it's <laughs> become relevant hasn't been relevant for the last 13 years or whatever it was anyway so uh, I, I i have to say i will not be being parachuted jetted oh. or, or or you know otherwise transported at great pace into the well obviously surrey is lovely i'm aware mm-hmm. that you're our surrey correspondent three present but um i don't know i think i swear too much to to be an mp in surrey so i would just instead have to behave myself for our listeners hello I'll let the press association know they can yeah, put up a you, statement. Yeah, if, if you could, if you could, if you could get the Reuters lads on the blog, I'll we'll let them. I'll get them on it. Um, I know this is a little bit bonkers of me, but when a number of people recommended the Netflix show Beef to mm. me, I rather flinched simply because of the title. Because mm. as a vegan, and <laughs> as oh, a no- I see, I yeah, forget this, isn't yeah, yeah, you know, I'm a notoriously rather soft, emotional person. I feared it was about the meat industry, but of course, the beef in question turns out to be the meaning of beef in the modern um, way. As, well, a, as in disagree- Iraq, as in a yes, row, yes, disagreement indeed. or feud. So upon learning this, we realised it was safe for me and, uh, of course, for Juliet to mm. watch episode one of this 10 episode season on Netflix. It's billed as a 
comedy drama and we saw plenty of the latter in the first episode which was titled the birds don't sing they screech in pain which is um taken from uh Werner herzog uh yes. about nature and wildlife in episode one in which we see life bubbling along in the san fernando valley and in koreatown in los angeles there's a fair bit of scene setting and what is called in tv and movies building bricks so mm. beef on netflix jewels well, I mean, there was one of these things that I have a category that's called unwatchably good, as in it's really, you know really good. I thought good. you were going to say then, I've got a cat. And I thought, what's that got to do with it? But you've got a category. I, I mean, I, I believe it or not, said T, I, I do try and keep my contributions relevant. Although, not, although that is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? Our listeners may very well disagree. But anyway, you hmm. may disagree. But but still, going back to my actual point, <laughs> if I may direct the right honourable gentleman oh, to I'm my so actual sorry. point. Uh, it's all right, not enough. Um, it, it, as we explained in the previous podcast, we won't fall out because we live in different counties. And Indeed. so therefore our um, winning double act will uh, will be maintained anyway yes i have a category called unwatchably good which is this is really good and really tense <laughs> and i i, I how am i going to watch 10 of these uh, terence i remember a friend of mine once remarked at the end of black swan the film that was absolutely brilliant and i never want to see it again in my life <laughs> And I don't feel dissimilarly about beef. It was it was this and what was so so it was good. I I would describe it as really good, I would say. It was certainly very compelling. It went to some very weird places that I did not expect it to go. Um and the the, the I don't a usual thing, if you want to watch this and you don't want it spoiled, I'll try and be as careful as I can, but hmm. to be better safe than sorry, fast forward this bit, watch it, and then come back and listen to this. But um but I would say uh, the where I liked it a lot was I thought you know because it's a ten part thing I still thought oh god something terrible was going to happen at the end of the first episode, and it was horrible and disgusting and gross <laughs> but not terrible. <laughs> I, I genuinely thought someone might 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 you know, get seriously injured. Mm. Instead, it was just really grim. Um, it's really odd. This it's great. It's not like anything I've seen in a, in a long time. In that the central two characters that are sort of having the beef flip between being really sympathetic and really awful often within seconds it's really hard and that's where it's clever i think that your cons it's like but it's similar to what i like so much about the film the favorite in that your loyalties constantly shift depending on what is going on and and how, who is saying what um and it, it was almost like that i was thinking we watched um colin from accounts didn't we the other week yes. and we, we very much enjoyed it yeah. and said how much we liked it because it was very sweet and very kind and all of the peripheral characters in it were very kind weren't they and very nice yes. you knew these people this is the sort of sour side to the sweet <laughs> of colin from accounts in that you, the, the sympathies that you have for these main characters sort of stem from the fact that everybody in their lives were awful in different <laughs> ways her husband was so cloyingly nice early on that you guessed that she had he had to have an issue and it turns out he did um his mum was you know there was tension with his mum and the grandchild wasn't there the the the, the male protagonist his his doltish brother in it as well encouraged <laughs> him into crypto and he then lost his money um it was it was it was very it was very fascinating how how it was so different on that and i did think halfway through oh god am i going to be able to stick with this because these people are sort of horrible yet at the same time they were horrible people having a horrible time which therefore kind of made it all right to watch really um it, yeah i 
tired afterwards. I must admit, it was. It was. I found it quite. I found it quite strain. Said to it was quite. It was quite. You know, it was. It was quite high volume, wasn't it? It was a bit like. Um, oh god, I felt like sort of. What's that film? Is it Do the Right Thing? That's got Public Enemy kind of playing in the background. It's one of those films. I constantly felt that there was this kind of slight sort of scratching noise in my peripheral kind of brain, my frontal lobe that kind of got slightly louder throughout. It is, if you can, if you can stomach. It. Not that it's gross, although the end bit is a bit gross. But but if you can kind of stand the tension, it's extremely enjoyable. And it's in a weird space, and it's not like the White Lotus that. Do you remember we watched that, mm, and do. we said that that had people, rich people in it that were awful. Yeah, it was quite. It still managed to be quite light, didn't it, and quite mm. comic. This was billed as a comedy drama, but it was more hysteria than anything <laughs> else. I think it wasn't really. It wasn't going. <laughs> it was. It was kind of. It was just grip, face grippingly kind of car crash drama, really. Literally car crash drama. Mm. That's the whole point of how it started, wasn't it? This motor accident that, or rather this kind of road rage incident that kind of, yeah, I'd be interested to see where they with this and and how, and it was an interesting kind of, you know, we've I think we've all had occasional annoyances where even the most mild man of people in my life when they're driving a car shout at other road users and it just it's a good reminder that you know we don't know what anybody else is going through when we're all on the road do we and and you know it's it, the smallest of things I suspect can lead to the biggest of denouement denouements I haven't um I haven't seen any more episodes of this I think I'm going to have to build up to them, I must say. But it was a genuinely good setup in that it was, you do think, oh, my God, where is this going? I mean, literally, where is this going? So, yeah, um, it was really, really difficult to watch, but it was really good, is what I would say. Yeah, I thought uh, episode one of Beef, it showed great, a uh, really good promise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the episode actually started uh, like a runaway train. It moved so fast with the, the, absolutely. the, the near miss in the car park leading mm. to, the, as you say, the road rage incident. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I sort of felt that that surely must set the tone for a ever mm. escalating chain of events through the season. Um, it was it was curious, and I don't know if it was deliberate, that as the, the mood seemed to become darker in episode mm. one, as you say and as it did so so did the lighting in the indoor scenes i was nearly mm. having to use a, a flashlight yes uh, i didn't notice that that's a good observation that was very clever i'm sure that was deliberate yeah i quite enjoyed amy's uh steadfastness as people around her yes kind of bathed themselves in asian cultural misappropriation because mm. she's confused for being japanese and then as a zen buddhist absolutely um, she, she was slightly more sympathetic than the than her male sort of antagonist so far yeah just so <laughs> far but I, I, well yes because i'm telling you what i'm glad i wasn't having lunch when we saw danny eating a burger king takeout oh god that was pretty grim wasn't it oh. I've never seen anyone eat so much so quickly since um, Mr. Creosote. Well, actually, but, fair uh, play to the actor, though, because it, oh, really, did, gosh, it yes. really did. And sort of, you know, this kind of man that is slightly out of control in every aspect of his life. His life is out of control and he is out of control. That's what's so, that's so, what's so entertaining about it. I think it's a strong first episode for beef. I think I'll keep watching it. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you will, but I, I mean, I, I would. I will try, is what I can say. <laughs> I will do my best. I mean, the problem is, Seti, I like things like that nice Agatha Christie that you know you can just you can watch for a bit, and you know there's a thatched house and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure I'm built for this kind of ag no, anymore. No. I mean, life is ag, isn't it, Seti? I'm not no, sure if no. I want it on my TV, but I will try because it was good. 
Um, Beef, it has 10 episodes and it's on Netflix. Coming next, BBC Radio 4 and the disappearing baby boomers. Mm. And I'll quiz you and Juliet on BBC Radio. Mm. That's right after Diana Ross. that we've occasionally had not dis- 
disagreements, but differing views on vinyl and physical things and the and the appeal thereof. I must say that nice Diana Ross, her vinyl records are always worth buying because they're in gatefold sleeves. And you might have noticed this on several of her albums, the top half of her is on the front cover. And when you drop down the second half of the gatefold, she's full length. That's very snazzy. And, that, and on the album Diana, from which this is taken, 1980, lovely black and white uh, photo of her on the cover. Good pair of Patti Smith, I think, on the cover of Horses. But anyway, um, from that album, um, it's uh, the Noel Rogers, um, the Bernard Edwards, Bernard Edwards uh, dream team on production. I really love that. I could listen to that over and over again, happily. I just... It's it's doesn't doesn't do much that song does it? There's not there's not a great deal of different sections. It's not exactly day in the life, is it? But it's it's got a lovely little hook that um that lovely little chorusy hook that just keeps pulling me back. I think it's brilliant. Um, my old piano by Dinah Ross. It's wonderful. I've been in love with Dinah Ross since I was a teenager. Oh, that is completely fair. Yeah, still recording, still touring. She's over here in the UK. Oh, is she? couple of shows later in the year at the Albert Hall. Oh, excellent. She was um she was over here last summer at Glastonbury in the oldest slot and then also at the um at the the the, the Platy Jubes as young people insist on calling it part of concert as well. Yes, so love Diana, she can do no wrong in in mm. my book. There's an interesting piece in The Telegraph this week by Ben Lawrence reflecting Mm. on the massive drop in listenership to BBC Radio 4 and in particular its flagship morning news show, Mm. The Today Programme, which has lost listeners in droves in in, in the last few years. Some people will put this down to the change of presenters in some shows Mm. broadly on Radio 4 that have been part of its framework for years. Some have left, some were shoved. Mm. And many presenters rather inconveniently died. Uh, I know, that's very rude. Just, yes, unaccountable. Leaving a void that, uh, you know, their replacements simply couldn't fill. Mm. We've had Richard Coles from Saturday Live, Jane Garvey from Woman's Air, Nicholas Parsons from Just a Minute. And I'm sorry, I haven't haven't a clue where only Graham Garden survives. Absolutely, yes. Little sidebar here, Graham Garden, um, his son is the keyboard player with the Scissor Sisters. I did not know that. That's very delightful. Thank you for letting me have that pop fact. Yes, a little note there. Um, no, in this piece, Ben Lawrence says that, uh, and I quote here, old-fashioned linear radio is as important as ever, and for a particular generation, the baby boomers born in the 15 years after the end of World War II, mm. it's a familiar and reassuring presence, uh, end of quote. Well, I disagree with this. I'm a baby boomer born within those years, and I can no longer abide radio for it lost its way for me a while ago, no longer knows what its character is and who is its audience. Not only that, I believe that all radio of this style is over and just being kept on life support. Um, no, I mean, no longer, Jules. Nobody asks you, oh, did you hear such and such a programme on the radio yesterday? And I don't think I know of any young person under 30 who even listens to the radio at all. Well, that's that's interesting. So so I'm a I'm not a young person under 30, but I'm a young person under 40 just um, for these purposes, as is my uh, my better half. And we are both late 30s women that are very keen on Radio 4 and yeah. listen quite a lot. Having said that, though, uh-huh. I mean, I usually wake up to today. I find some presenters on today very irritating. Having said that, yes. what we really are is big podcast listeners. So we actually are people that use bbc sounds the thing that made uh, everybody so cross yeah. initially yes. but we we so whenever 
Uh, I, I, yeah, we send each other kind of links to programs. Uh, there are some programs on Radio 4 I still very much enjoy. I very, one thing that I did discover the other day, because I just left the Radio 1 when I got up, was how, I remembered how much I liked the lifestyle, which is on, on Tuesday mornings, I think. And it's a bit like Desert Island Disc Scientists, but without any music, where Jim Algalini <laughs> basically talks to various, but had a very dry man on this week who, you know, like all the people you've got on Desert Island Disc, uh, you know, you've never heard of them. They've done something big in cancer treatment. And then you're like, oh, you picked the Beatles. Oh, that's good. Um, <laughs> it's a bit like that, but, but without any music. But yeah, we tend to consume... There are still some really good series being made that do go out on Radio 4. But because I listen through BBC Sounds and we listen to kind of podcasts through podcast apps, it's difficult. That I can't tell now what actually goes out on the radio and what is just made by the BBC as podcasts. And maybe this is part of the problem. And like you say, you know, maybe this is the BBC's way of trying to straddle the sort of movement towards podcasts. Increasingly, I found myself listening to non-BBC podcasts for reasons that I hinted at earlier, mentioning Emily Maitlitz, in that mm. I find the, polit- the political podcasts and the current affairs podcasts I listen to nowadays, apart from newscasts, which is still pretty good, um, I don't listen to BBC ones because I listen to ones that express opinions. Yes. And I'm yes, finding yes, that, yes. you know, no, 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 they don't have to match my opinions. So of course, naturally, one does tend to, mm. to get to, to gravitate towards that. But yeah, I find, I mean, I still, I, I still enjoy Six Music. I still listen to that live quite a lot. I find that enjoyable because again, it's music radio, which is different to speech radio. But um, yeah, like you say, big losses to Radio 4 recently and perhaps to radio 2 as well radio 4 is the thing that i and radio 6 are the things i still experience the most and radio 4 i kind of consume it in the in the contact it's not designed for really or at least it wasn't designed for which is um which is is on podcast so and actually i do have quite a lot of people of our age that that, that i know that tend to listen in that way so maybe it is finding a different audience through a different medium i don't know you know how many of, of me and my other half there are out there but it's certainly something that we still enjoy and listen to so so but I do understand I mean we've talked about this previously haven't we with radio too about how not everything can stay the same forever because as you pointed out people inconveniently pass on don't they and and just or, or just retire or just aren't around anymore and I, I, made, I took the points that you made through you know excellent points regarding Roger Bolton and um, and, and feedback and things but yeah it's strange isn't it all radio will go through a transitional period and it is interesting I think that the, and I think this often is the case in lots of institutions there, there seems to be they seem institutions seem to recruit in waves don't they I think so hmm. so it seems now like there's an, there were an awful lot of presenters at Radio 2 that were of a similar age at a similar time and it just seems it's a bit like parliamentary intakes, isn't it? How lots of you know one particular intake will probably all go 25 years later at a similar time. It's it's interesting to see. And of course, there are some people, like you say, that have been tempted away by more lucrative offers elsewhere. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if radio is dying or not, or if it's just evolving. Certainly when I'm still enjoying experiencing radio, I'm not always experiencing it live radio, but I do like listening to podcasts on my phone. So so we'll see. You see, we're actually on exactly the same page. It's just that I was drawing a division between radio and podcast because I was thinking mm, mm. Um, when when I read this piece that where the where the BBC might capture an audience and indeed mm. probably is, it, uh, you know, I was just not calling it radio it is through podcast because young people do. I I, yes. I in my uh, experience mm. do listen to podcasts often recommended by friends, um, mm. but um, the BBC audio 
broadcasting arm could probably be reduced by 95% and still produce those podcasts. So there's, I think there is a uh, something of a difference between what uh, Lauren, Ben Lawrence refers to as old-fashioned linear radio and what we're describing, which is audio being made and being presented for us to listen to at any time but there's which is, an increasing bleed between the two so a lot, lot of radio, is, yeah. so a lot of radio force for example i can give a good example here so it's cut across to you but i think mm. it's relevant um shortcuts hosted by Josie Long on radio Four, which i think i've recommended before on this podcast it's sort of meant to be a series of I can't remember how long it's on for. It might be about half an hour or so, but it's a kind of a, a series of what they like to call micro documentaries, which is a bit like Jarvis Cocker's Wireless Nights that mm. he used to do that, you know, sort of, I think that was for Radio 3, but it's kind of weaving in and out of these things. Now, I didn't realise about two or three years after I first started listening to those that they go out on the radio. They go out on Radio 4. Well, Josie Long goes out on, yeah. on Radio 4 in the afternoons or, or sometimes in the half 11 slot on Radio 4 and Jarvis was going out quite late on radio three and yeah i i think like you say maybe maybe the maybe the bbc is getting this right in that maybe quite a lot of its content now like lucy lucy words lady killers podcast i think that goes out on radio four but again i've listened to that all on sound as a podcast um maybe maybe it's getting better at maybe it's getting better at, at maybe it needs to get better at, at moving some of its podcasts onto its schedule because most of us can do the radio for schedule by heart increasingly but quite a lot of it's sort of what i would call standalone programs like the life scientific so not the big tickety ones like the archers or the afternoon play or today or women's hour or anything like that there's quite a lot of programming on radio four that really lends itself to podcasts and works really well but you see, I'm I'm seeing a, a, a big difference, and I think it's pointless shoving all these um, audio presentations, which are ultimately pursued as podcasts, which means that you, I, or anyone can listen to them at any time we fancy. Mm. Sticking them on, on again, as Lawrence, Ben Lawrence calls it, old-fashioned mm. linear radio, just seems totally pointless and irrelevant mm. because I can choose. You see, I might think, well, I like the sound of that Josie mm. Long thing, but I don't like the sound of the Lucy Worsley thing, so I'll go and listen to the Josie Long thing or vice versa. But if they shove them on Radio 4 during the day or the evening or whatever, mm. then it's just there and it doesn't need to be because mm. it's already available for your you to be able to listen to whenever you like so why mm. stick it on during the, the scheduled programs that that makes no sense to me at all i suppose so but it's it's i guess it's trying to work out whether you can have both whether there is still an audience for linear radio for those programs that also lend themselves to podcasts because i think the point i'm making is that quite a lot of the programs that are on radio for in the day like the half an hour programs i would call mm. them also work well as podcasts they, mm. they i think they suit both so so actually i think it's it's worth thinking about mm. now while we're here um mm, let's on. test you the listener and juliet with a quick five question multiple choice quiz on bbc radio it's either about radio one mm. or radio four in fact um and three out of five wins and the star prize mm. is an interview at the 10 past eight slot on the today program oh wow Hussain. exciting so remember they're multiple choice so i'll give you four choices for each of them after the question three to win okay all right 
<laughs> who was BBC Radio 1's first female presenter? Was it Katie Boyle, Annie Nightingale, Janice Long, Lynn Parsons? I'm going to go for Annie Nightingale. Correct. 1970. Hooray! Three years it after is. Radio 1 had started, it took them three years to find no, that's, a, a I mean, woman. Did she come from one of the pirates? I think she might have done. Oh, did she? I, I, I didn't let know me that. just have a look because I, 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 part of me feels that she. I think I'll do not, a quick but... fact check now. Well, let's see. You're probably right, but um, I will have a look and see. Um, let me find out the radio career. Um, her first broadcast was on the 14th of September 1963 as a panelist on Jukebox Jury and contributed to Women's Hour in 1964. And she uh, hosted programmes on the BBC Light programme in 1966. Ah. It started at BBC Radio 1 on 8th of February 1970. So you are correct. She did yes. not come from one of the pirates. No piracy. Mm. Na- name the pub in Radio 4's The Archers. Is it The Bell, The Nags Head? The crown or the bull? I can tell you it's the bull because I'm a member of various Archers Facebook groups and one of them is called Upstairs at the Bull. So, uh, yes, I am. I'm familiar two. with its work. Who was the first female host of the Radio One breakfast show? Was it Annie Nightingale, Annika Rice, Zoe Ball, Moira Stewart? Mm, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Um, I I may not get this right. Um, I am going to say Zoe Ball. Correct. Three uh, out of three. I wondered. I didn't know if I'd missed Annika Rice presenting the the Radio One Breakfast Show or not. I was leaning slightly before her, but yes, that is that the hooray, hooray, basically. I don't believe Annika Rice has ever presented the Breakfast Show on Radio One. That could be wrong. Back, back to the Archers. Mm. What is the name of the family farm? Is it Brookfield, Riverford, Meadowstream, Grundy Villa? Brookfield. It's Brookfield. Four out of four. Very Listeners, nice question. Thank doing you. Well. Said to you. Yes, I'm sure everyone is along with me. Now, you were minus 17 years old for this question. So <laughs> let's see if you okay. uh, know I'm it. I'm going to uh, give, 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 it my, give my best shot to you. First record played on uh, Radio One. It's the, can I can I can I can I not can I not take a moment? Can I try and showboat this and not have it not have any options? What year was it then? You said 1967. Oh, did, did I say that? 67? I was okay. minus 17. Come on, flowers, then show off. Flowers in the rain by the move. Okay, smarty pants. That's five out of five. <laughs> but what was the second record played on oh! the BBC Radio One Breakfast Show and the first show in 1967? I'll give you three. I'll take the multiple choices for that. <laughs> yes, I'll give you three choices. Penny Thank Lane you. by the Beatles, mm-hmm. Massachusetts by the Bee Gees, or Hole in My Shoe by Traffic. Mm, these are all um, plausible choices, I think. Yeah, you just um, guess, I, really. I knew. Um, so what were the options? Sorry. Uh, Penny Lane, Beatles, Massachusetts, Bee Gees, Hole in My Shoe, Traffic. Do you know, I'll split the difference and go down the middle and say Massachusetts. It was. You've done very Oh, no way. Very wow. Well. Okay. Who presented the, that breakfast show? Tony Blackburn. Correct. Well, you've done splendidly. Thank you very much. I oh, see young people 
I'm calling myself the young people here. Clearly still do appreciate good radio, even though much of that happened. I did listen to Zoe Ball on the Radio One Breakfast Show, in fairness. But um, and I do I do pop along to the arches sometimes. Uh, Someone comes to be the best thing about the arches is you cannot listen to it for many months on end. (laughs) And mostly you can find out what's going on. So um, so so, yeah, well, I'm sure our listeners did as well as me. I hope so. Coming right up, farewell to two bass players from different generations and, of course, Tina Turner. That's next after Dan Auerbach. Never in my wildest dreams Would I be loving you Never in my wildest dreams Would my dreams come true just too good to touch I can't discuss it much I get too choked up Don't wanna make a scene Never in my wildest dreams his solo work to that mm. with his uh, group the black keys this is from oh, interesting yeah much prefer that it's from his second solo album in 2017 from the album waiting on a song that's dan Auerbach and never in my wildest dreams interesting that is that's rather good that i do rather like the black keys actually i must say mm. but um i am um, yeah I, I i'm quite a fan of the black keys generally but i enjoyed that as well mm. Well, I thought I knew a lot about the Beatles. Perhaps I even kid myself now and then that I'm a bit of a Beatles expert. But Mm. it was only when I read the obituary of Chaz Newby this week Mm. that I learned he played with the Quarrymen and early uh, early versions of the Beatles. Uh, Mm, Previously, 
it was a new one on me as well. Actually. Yeah, his name was unknown mm. to me before as well, same as usual. A lot of kind words were said, and uh, mm. Roe Best was quoted as saying, many of you will know him for playing bass guitar for both the Beatles and the Quarrymen, but to us, he was laid back, Chaz, with the big smile, which, of That's course, is a lovely way to be remembered, isn't it? Um, apparently, Lennon wanted Chaz Newby to continue in the Beatles, but Newby decided to go back to university. So, Jules, I began to... <laughs> Well, I began to wonder, you know, would that be a great regret turning down the Beatles? Chaz said, I, I really haven't any regrets. So I've no, I, I think I that's lovely. Them. Yeah, absolutely. He said, you know, this lovely quote to the Sunday Mercury in 2012. And I love the fact that that's who's got the quote as well. It's not like some huge, you know, huge global publications. Music was never going to be living for me. I wanted to do chemistry. And then he <laughs> said, people sometimes don't believe me when they say when I say I have no regrets. But I really haven't. I've enjoyed my life immensely. He sounds like a very nice man who we've talked previously on the podcast. I think we talked about 1234 by Craig Brown about yeah. the curious tale of Jimmy Nickel and yeah. how embittered he was by the whole experience. Whereas actually, everyone should be more jazz who just did, didn't want to do that with his life, isn't particularly, you know, doesn't regret that and is just very happy to continue on. And, and you know, fair play to him. I, I didn't know his I didn't know his name. He was a small part of history. And, you know, I'm glad he had a happy life. I'm sorry. he's I'm sorry he's gone. But he sounds like he was a lovely man. And the tributes to him really reflect that. Well, another bass player died this week. It's Andy Roth, mm. most widely known as bass player with the Smiths, of course, along with the drummer Mike Joyce, uh, mm. Andy Roth and, and Joyce. They're, they're often the forgotten men in the Smiths mm. with, with the spotlight so often on Morrissey and Ma. But mm. Roth was an ex- he was an excellent bass player, booming but very melodic too. Yes, absolutely. So- Andy Rourke's self-acknowledged big problem was heroin. The mm. mummy came in and quickly went out again on heroin. And as with so many bands, the Smiths broke up, as you know, we all know, mm. in disarray amidst a mm. massive falling out over money and the division of their royalties. So a similar thought as 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 with Charles mm. Newby Jaws, in many ways, certainly musically. Andy Rourke's life came to a standstill in 1987, and that's 36 years since and a long time to have well, done not very much. Well, indeed. I mean, he was booted out of the Smiths briefly because of his heroin problems. Mm. Um, in true Morrissey style, who we always refer to with a rather jaundiced smile as mm. our, our pal Morrissey of mm. the podcast, who decided that the best way to tell Andy Rourke he was leaving the Smiths was to leave a note under his car windscreen that said, yeah. dear Andy, you have left the Smiths, um, which is almost like the kind of that you have been visited by the Chelsea headhunters kind of level of, of communications, <laughs> isn't it, really? When it comes to, you know, sort of leaving cards on people. Yeah. He didn't wake up with it pinned on him, I suppose. But anyway, yeah. so um, I know that other teams have football hooligans too, said he. I'm not, I'm not okay. singling out your your Chelsea but um but uh, yeah he you know it's like you say he did do some things after the Smiths because I had a read up on him to see what he'd done because mm. like you I was like you know and actually he performed on Morris's solo releases mm. some of them he recorded with Sinead O'Connor and the pretenders in the early 1990s he was a member of this is one of my favorite ridiculous super groups ever they were called free bass and they were an, an english rock super group that consisted of three bassists originally andy Rourke, peter hook who we've spoken about before on this podcast and manny mountfield of the stone roses and uh, primal scream and uh, singer gary brief formerly of haven a rather underrated rock band um they released some e in 20 uh, in 2010 um 
on a um, an independent American record label called, rather fittingly, 24-Hour Service Station. Not to be confused with 24-Hour Party People, which was the Manchester scene from which a lot of these people came. But there was only one studio album that came out in 2010, and uh, the, the Andy Rourke um, was a member of the band D.R.A.K., um, formed in New York yeah, City. They yeah. didn't really do very much. And then um, and then he organised some Versus Cancer concerts in the late uh, noughties, very laudable. But not very much, really. No, after much. that, like like you say, it wasn't. You know, he, you know, he he kept going for a bit, but um, it just wasn't. Um, it, the dark had Dolores Reardon from the Cranberries in it, by the way. So um, he was, you know, playing some things. Mm. He took part in classically Smiths and bless them. To January 2018, it was announced that Andy Rook, Mike Joyce, and other, I'm afraid, uh, Smith's forgotten man, Craig Gannon. Yeah. Yes, who was the, the, the would take part in classically Smith's um, a series of classical music concerts based on the, uh, the Smith's got with the Manchester Camerata. Rook released a statement saying that he had never agreed to take part in the event. Joyce and Gannon subsequently withdrew and the events were cancelled. So a, ra- a rather, um, a rather yeah. sort of disastrous end. I mean, like you say, a brilliant bass player um, at his best, I think, on the que- on the Queen is Dead. Um, probably the song as well as the album i would say um yeah a very talented bass player who yeah like, like you say had, had you know, by his own admission had a big problem and i don't know if that it wasn't you know the smiths broke up because the smiths broke up ultimately but um but you know because because of the personalities in the band and and also it's and you know as we seem to say every time morris mentioned on this podcast you almost can't talk about the output of the smiths now without acknowledging how badly he's lost his way but it's worth remembering but for those four five years that they were producing records it's a little bit like i know they were around for half the time of the beatles but i think it's worth a comparison in that the music they produced was incredibly high standard i mean they you know their original studio albums are fantastic and and, and the standard is really high so perhaps they were never going to be able to to keep that up long term with the personalities in the band that they had and the success that they very quickly enjoyed they they didn't graft for very long did they they were pretty much an over if I, i might be misremembering this but they were they were they were you know it didn't take them very long to get on i don't think so um so yeah it's you know a, a, a sad end to uh, and I'm so sorry anybody that dies of cancer is just a terrible thing, isn't it? No, so it is, I'm it sorry is. that Andy Rook didn't uh, didn't didn't have a, a sort of long career, long illustrious career after the Smiths. It was bits and bobs for a while, although he played with names. It wasn't like he didn't play with names. No, I mean just um, leading on from that, I just got a, a, mm. a quick story for us to look at. It relates very closely to mm. what you were just saying about. Mm. Uh, in fact, the reason I want to mention it is because of the time frame of the Beatles and how time just whizzes through. And, uh, and so mm. I mean, it also relates to the Chance Newby story, because um, mm. in, in 1960, uh, it, this very week in 1960, that the then Silver Beatles, Lennon, McCartney, mm. Harrison, Stu Stutcliffe mm. and uh, drummer Tommy mm. Moore, they played the first night of a tour of Scotland backing the singer Tommy uh, Johnny Gentle. Sorry. At oh, Hollywood. Yes. Hallower Town Hall, Clackmannanshire, mm. and uh, for the for this, I don't know whether it's a tax thing or something, but Paul mm. called himself Paul Ramon, George oh, yes. called himself Carl Harrison, and Sutcliffe became Stuart de Stale. Um, I just the reason I mention this not only was it because it was this week in 1960, but it's amazing to think of these young boys up in Scotland mm. just learning their way, and then seven years later it's Sergeant Pepper. So it's crazy. You know, 
crazy, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, to, oh, to be a, a time traveller and be able to go absolutely. back and witness it all. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Thanks very much for listening this week. Good to have you along. I echo the sentiments of my very learned friend, as always. And, uh, yeah, you don't need to be a time traveller to listen to Juliet on the radio. No, although you can be, thanks to the joys of Mixcloud. Um, oh, it's almost up. We write this. Um, if you go onto <laughs> Mixcloud.com and search for Noisebox Radio, which is the station I broadcast on, you can find the channel on there and find my two shows, which is Smooth Sailing and Lost for Words. Smooth Sailing is Yacht Rock, etc. Easy listening and uh, Lost for Words is interesting instrumentals of all and no genres indeed if you want to hear them actually if you want to eschew podcasts like, like people that answer terence do you can listen on sunday evenings from seven till nine for smooth sailing and um it's eight till nine for lost of words on thursday evenings and there's a repeat from 11 till 12 on tuesday mornings and weirdly the repeat always does quite well i get quite a lot of messages during the repeat but yes that's where you can hear it's easy to forget what a pivotal role the Heaven 17 blokes had mm. in reinvigorating the career, career of Tina Turner. Yes. She, she was heading to the nostalgia circuit. Mm. I mean, she was only 44, but she was yes. always heading to that. Hooray, it's the 60s type uh, mm. thing you know, with the monkeys and, yes. uh, and Paul Revere and the Raiders and whatever. Um, and then the, the Heaven 17 blokes produced um, her cover of Let's Stay Together. And yes. that success turned her whole career around. Absolutely. And also, in a sort of a pay it forward type affair, I read a very interesting article today where Tina Turner was bizarrely in Australia responsible for the resurgence of rugby league. Really? Yes, it's a very, I'm trying to find the article now because it was very, very unexpected. Um, <laughs> the, unexpected. Oddest, the oddest tribute I, I read today to Tina Turner, um, to the point where I almost had to check the date. Um, yes, the Guardian headline, Tina Turner and Rugby League, an enduring partnership that changed the face of the game. Um, she helped cleanse the game. There's a brilliant photo of her celebrating with the Brisbane Broncos after the 1993 Rugby League Grand Final <laughs> at Sydney Football Stadium. She looks like she's having a great time, in fairness to her. She um she was starred in the promotion of the Winfield Cup with her hits What You Get Is What You See and The Best from 1989 to 1995. She was a big promoter of rugby league. Um, she was um bizarrely very, very much loved in New South Wales and Queensland. Um, yeah, very strange. Who knew, as they she, say. She was performing in these adverts and they were a huge kind of hit. They they signed her in the late 80s, become the fo- the voice and face of rugby league in in Australia. And there's some great photos of her performing at the grand final. And yeah, and she really did help it become more, you know, more, more diverse. And you can see her, these promos. She's holding a rugby ball. She's singing. It's it's really bizarre. But anyway, I, I think we've gone off on a tangent. But uh, <laughs> who knew that Tina Turner and rugby league was such a pairing? And yeah. Like you say, she very easily could have gone down the kind of 60s nostalgia route. And instead, actually, interestingly, uh, she really did. She had a really long career that really spanned generations. Because looking at how people are sort of reacted on my Facebook, of course, the sort of older people remember her from the 60s and, and the 70s. And they all sort of remember, you know, uh, River Deep Mountain High and Nutbush and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, indeed. But also huge outpouring of Sanders from people sort of my age and a bit older who remember her sort of 80s stadium pomp, who remember Mad Max and We Don't Need Another Hero 
and you know simply the best and and all that kind of stuff that remember her kind of and what's love got to do with it you know her her real um you know her her real 80s kind of power she really did move with the times i think she might like you say heaven 17 hugely credited with that but she found a way moving forward that i think was brilliant and is brilliant and you know what can i say i, I think she's you know it's marvelous also there have been some really good think pieces today on on um sort of her you know the, the dissolution of her marriage with ike turner and how she became a real sort of a real inspiration for lots of women suffering from domestic violence and how she dealt with that very well and and like i said was a real source of strength to many i think so i don't think they make them very much like tina turner anymore who knows maybe in 40 years time we'll be talking about rihanna or beyonce like this we might be who knows they're very good but um but yeah i i she's a great loss and yeah what can i say and i'm glad that she had a very happy time with a lovely man towards the end of her life living in switzerland i just i'm just really glad that she got the life that she deserved in the end yeah and we're and we're, we're turning to um, to Tina for. We to play are us turning to te- we're turning to Tina. Oh, yeah. very good. I see what you've done there. It's, yeah. It's a, yeah, you should go on stage anyway. <laughs> yes, I thought I'd pick this. I have very happy memories of this record. Have you ever experienced a silent disco, Sir Terence? No, I've seen people marching through town centres with yes. headphones on, partaking. Never yeah, done it so, so so what's up? So for listeners that aren't familiar. There's still one that happens in my town, actually, but I don't think they were as popular now. They're a bit like school discos where people dressed up. There's sort of more a fad for a while, um, exploiting new Bluetooth technology. You would go to a disco and you would all have headphones on. You'd be issued with headphones on your way in and they'd have channels on them and you could switch between channels you could either you could i think there were three different channels you could listen to and i experienced this for the first time at a festival called witchwood uh, bizarrely on Cheltenham Racecourse. um and this would have been about 2009 and i remember being with some friends and listening to people singing this song and the, the, my friend said it's great if you go naked and take your headphones off because all you of course you can hear is the din of people singing you can't <laughs> hear the music and what can i say the people that were singing along with a great gusto to this song because it is a great song that everyone knows when it starts i love the sense of excitement that it builds because it's a very restrained song at first and then that lovely chorus bursts in but what can i say these people were very very willing to give it a go but they struggled with the key change there really is only one (laughs) tina turner it has to be said this this is a song that everybody always gets the title of wrong including me everyone always calls it you know gives it too many words this is the best
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs>